Happy Sunday, everyone. Sunshine looks great on you. It's also a great day for a Rams Super Bowl win. We all know it. I knew it. Um, it's great to be with you. Uh, before we get started, just a couple brief announcements. Number one, the cold weather map program is coming to Calvary uh, through the month of, month of March. Um, this is kind of a space we, for us, a time for us to open up our fellowship hall downstairs to people who have been uh, sleeping out on the streets through the winter. And this is going to be a comfortable place for them to rest their head and also a place for them to have a hot meal. So we've got a board out in the foyer, and it is just an opportunity for you as our church to sign up uh, to prepare a meal. And so would you do that? Would you sign up? And I say this for two reasons. Number one, it's actually like our faith is really sparked when we serve and meet, meet the needs of others. And number two, uh, when we serve with others, we find there's a deeper connection in that. Really, I feel like, and this is my conviction, our community is formed and shaped through servanthood. Um, so check that out in the, in the foyer after the service. Number two, if you're new here, this is your first time here at Calvary or it's been a long time, I just want to say welcome. It's so good to have you here. There uh, should be in front of you some colorful looking cards um, and maybe a uh, like half sharpened little pencil in front of you or something like that. Uh, feel free to grab one of those cards at any point um, and just fill out your information. That's really just for us to get to know you more and to reach out to help get you connected within our church um, as we are kind of, Lord willing, coming out of this pandemic season and maybe there's more opportunity to kind of, like with the MAP program, serve together, get to know one another a little bit more. Uh, also, if I haven't introduced myself, my name is Reese. I uh, work with the youth and young adults in the church and uh, my wife and uh, Larissa and I have called Calvary home for, uh, yeah, about a, about a year and a half. And uh, it's great to be sharing with you this morning. Uh, the passage that we are going to be teaching out of is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, um, feel free to flip there. Philippians, um, if you're new to opening your Bible, it's in the, kind of the second half of the Bible um, sandwiched kind of between uh, Ephesians and Colossians. And so hopefully you can find your way there. If not, just uh, elbow someone next to you, maybe. Um, a little bit of context. We've been going through uh, this book, Philippians, and really it's um, a written letter. Uh, anyone still write letters here? Uh, from, good, it's almost Valentine's Day, all you gentlemen. Um, from Paul to uh, this community of Christians, new Christians, in the area called Philippi. And Paul is writing from prison because uh, the advancement of the gospel and the message of Jesus uh, has been deemed illegal um, in the Roman Empire. And so I will say this about the text. It is one of the most... Um, 
like profound texts I have ever, ever studied or taught out of. Um, it has really shook me to my core. Like even as I'm like getting up here to preach it, I feel like my heart is beating twice as fast because it's so rich. I was telling people before this, it like, it was one of those scriptures that like kicked my butt. And so I uh, hope it kicks yours. Um, and and Gor- Gordon Fee says this. He's a, um, he's a biblical scholar. He used to teach down at Regent College at UBC. He calls Philippians 2, 5 to 11, one of the most exalted, most beloved, and most discussed and debated passages in the Pauline corpus. It's going to be great. So, let's read together. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we know this is your word. That you have set aside for us this morning. And that you also set aside for those wonderful Philippians long ago. Holy Spirit, help me to be faithful to this text. And God, as we gather here together to glean what we can from it, Would it be by your spirit? Lord, in this moment, would you give us peace, rest, and help us lean into the truth that's in here. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So if we read the letter uh, to the Philippians as a whole, uh, it's kind of funny. We, we, We hit this passage and Paul interrupts the flow of this letter with, what is actually like a poem. It's a hymn. A lot of scholars speculate that this is something that um, maybe Paul wrote or someone else wrote, and it doesn't really have the same kind of rhyme scheme and songwriting prowess that some of our uh, Hillsong songs have, but it's really theologically sound. This, This passage it has such nosebleed high Christian doctrine that there really is no telling 
how crucial this passage has been in shaping our faith and our understanding of Jesus today. And so, um, theologian Fred Craddock argues that when we read this hymn in Philippians, we are to ask two questions. Number one, what does this hymn say? What does this hymn say? Number two, what does Paul say by including this hymn in the letter to the Philippians? Okay, so we're going to tackle number one first. What does this hymn say? What's up with this hymn? And so in summary, the hymn is a retelling of Jesus' story in its entirety. And it's split into three distinct parts. Number one, it's Jesus' pre-earthly existence. Number two, it's his earthly existence. And number three, his resurrection existence. And so, uh, for this first half of the message, we're going to work through each of these uh, parts in this passage and kind of parse out what theological truth we can that really is just kind of overflowing from these verses. And so first we're going to start with um, Jesus's pre-earthly existence. And so if we look at verse six, if you have your Bible open, the hymn starts with this, though he was in the form of God, though he was in the form of God. And this is parallel to uh, John chapter one, where we read, in the beginning was the word, it's Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. And John goes on to write, through him all things were made. Through him all things were made. And so we can also find as we go through the, the gospels, a number of times where Jesus refers to his pre earthly existence. Um, For example, in John 14, Philip, one of Jesus's followers, asks Jesus to show them the Father. And Jesus replies with this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And then he says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And in John chapter 17, Jesus is intimately praying to the Father and prays that uh, they, as in we, may be one, even as we are one, Jesus talking to God. And then he says, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So these passages are like really supporting this idea that Jesus had a pre-earthly existence with God the Father. And so Jesus being the Son of God and God himself has existed since the beginning of time itself in glory and majesty that we really have no understanding of and no words for. I don't know how beautiful and glorious Jesus was before his earthly existence. But I can tell you this, it was beautiful beyond measure. So, the hymn continues with, did not count equality with God a thing 
to be grasped. So Jesus did not hold on to his pre-earthly condition. His claim to being in the form of God is abandoned by him in his decision to empty himself, to empty himself. And this is where we reach the part of the hymn that touches on Christ's earthly existence. And so, if you're still in your Bibles, in verse 7, we read, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. Uh, this is one of those passages where I don't know if you do this as well. It's kind of fun to open different English editions of the Bible and kind of see how different translations match. And so uh, in the King James Version, I love this. It says, he made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation. In the NIV, which you might be reading, it says, made himself nothing. Made himself nothing. The message, Eugene Peterson translates it this way. He says, he set aside the privileges of deity. Isn't that beautiful? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> this language here emptied himself. You see that phrase. The Greek word for this phrase is this word kenosis. And it, it really just means glory empty. Glory empty. Kenosis. Glory empty. And so, uh, just for a quick illustration, I'm no marine biologist, clearly. Uh, if you have any big questions on the topic, I can point you to someone in our church who does know a thing or two about this stuff. But um, I've always been so fascinated by um, coral reefs. I don't know if you share that interest with me. Uh, whenever I've gone snorkeling or scuba diving or anything, I'm just so enamored by the beauty and uh, kind of weirdness of coral reefs. Uh, I've never actually been, but uh, I've always been amazed by images and videos of the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. It's stunning. Uh, there's these bright colors that pop. The water is just clear as glass. And as you kind of watch clips, you see little fish and octopus and eels kind of maneuvering their way through narrow gaps in the coral. It's just too cool. It's like a whole other world down there, different planet. Um, recent images show the effects of climate change on the Great Barrier Reef. The sadly negative effects and areas of the reef that were once popping with color, beautiful, teeming with fish and other life. They're just gray, bleached, like devoid of activity. They're like a ghost town. Kenosis. Glory empty. It's kind of this idea. And so Jesus intentionally 
intentionally chose to give up the vibrancy and beauty and glory he had to take on a form that paled in comparison. Jesus was in every way equal with God. He was in the form of God, it writes. He then made himself nothing, as we read in the NIV. He took on another form, the form of a human. And he didn't just take on the form of a human that was an aristocrat, a wealthy, uh, well-off, attractive human. And, And I think historically we have kind of obsessed, maybe as the church, with beautifying um, the image of Jesus. We've done a lot to polish him up in our paintings and in our pictures. Um, I remember seeing this picture that circulated on the internet and it kind of cracked me up in uh, in a bad way. It was this portrait of Jesus sitting on someone's mantle, like living room mantle, surrounded by candles and flowers and um, it was just the whole thing. And um, only it wasn't a picture of Jesus, it was a picture of Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, in like the second Star Wars prequel. Um, I think often we uh, find ourselves making Jesus this caricature of our Western ideas of how a savior is meant to appear, of how a hero is meant to look. I know I have done this myself. Sometimes when I close my eyes and I imagine what Jesus looks like, I can pretty much guarantee that it's far from what Jesus actually looked like. Uh, And if we like remain stuck on this idea that Jesus was a white man, like we actually really need to check what lens we're reading scripture through. It's just not right. And so we need to maybe do a work when we close our eyes and when we pray, we imagine Jesus about kind of reimagining what Jesus actually appeared as. And so he just didn't, he didn't come down and become a regular human in our eyes. Isaiah 53 says this, that he had no beauty or majesty that we should desire him. Jesus wasn't an attractive human. He took on the form of a servant, simple, poor, vulnerable, dirty at times. And even further, he took on the ugliness and pain and humiliation of the crucifixion. And so the hymn continues with, and being found in human form, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. And it's really important for us to recognize as well that um, the, no one in Philippi would have perceived the cross as we do today. Uh, We wear it around our neck, we have tattoos. It's uh, a bit of a friendly image or symbol at times, but uh, the cross was vicious, we all know that. And so people in Philippi would be, they would almost tremble at the thought of, or the mention of the cross. It was so torturous, so vicious. And so what we believe as followers of Jesus is that what happened on the cross, what Jesus did on the cross was one of the greatest acts of sacrificial love that we could ever imagine. Why? 
Well, the physical pain that Jesus endured on the cross is beyond imagination for most of us. For most of us, we couldn't even imagine what that pain would have been like. But even as the cross was brutally torturous, it was vicious, there's something else at play when we think about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Um, And I'll say this, uh, at the core of our needs as human beings is a need for attention. And I I think that uh, you don't really need me to say that uh, today. I think you notice that. Is this huge need for attention. I know that I've done a lot of things in my life to meet that need of being the center of attention. C.S. Lewis kind of says this about hell and because of this core human need that he says fire isn't the essence of hell but true hell is being eternally and utterly ignored. Eternally and utterly ignored. And so the pain and the sacrifice of Jesus' crucifixion It wasn't just the physical suffering of the cross. It wasn't even just the brutal humiliation of being publicly displayed in that state. What did Jesus cry out while he was hanging on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? utterly ignored. The father turned his face away. We sing that. Jesus endured our worst nightmare to a degree that we will never understand given his closeness with the father so that we don't have to. Jesus took that on so we don't have to. It's great news. If hell is to be eternally and utterly ignored, heaven, the kingdom, sounds a lot like being adored and treasured by him you most adore and treasure. 1 Peter 2 says this, we are God's treasured possession. Take that into your heart. We are God's treasured possession. Because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, you have God's acceptance and you can't lose it. That's a promise. So as we continue through the hymn, the subject changes to Jesus' resurrection existence. And so until this point in the hymn, it's been a story of Jesus acting, giving up claims, emptying himself, being obedient to the cross. Jesus acting. And so in verses 9 to 11, if you still have your Bible open, it's instead God the Father acting. And we read, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, this is so good, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because of Jesus' great act of servanthood, obedience, and sacrifice. He is highly exalted and given the name above all other names. So highly exalted, what does this mean? This is classic Paul language. We see this all across the letters that he uh, pens throughout the New Testament. It's this hyper compound. For example, in Romans, he says that we are more than conquerors. And in Colossians, he says, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. When Paul uses this language of highly exalted, highly exalted, what he's saying is that Jesus now has more glory and more standing than he ever has. It's so powerful. And this just gives us this magnificent picture of Jesus' resurrection and holiness following that obedience and that suffering and that sacrifice and that servanthood that is written about. The name above every name. What is this name? What's this name? That at the name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. We sing that too. Yeshua, Jesus. And Jesus, with this name, is not just Lord of earth. He is Lord of every created realm and every created being in the whole universe. This net is being tossed over everything. So heaven being, um, when Paul uses this language, he kind of means heavenly beings. So angels and demons and supernatural beings. Earth, all those who are living on earth, existing, an earthly existence, under the earth, the dead. There's no dark corner of the universe that Jesus' lordship and majesty won't touch. It's incredible. All, all will acknowledge Jesus' lordship over creation. Okay, so the first question we asked and we just kind of went through what was, was what does this hymn say? We talked about Jesus' whole trajectory, his pre-earthly existence, his earthly existence, and then his resurrection existence that we kind of get a theology of throughout that passage. So the second question, what is Paul saying by including this hymn? Why does he do it? Why does he squeeze it in and kind of interrupt the flow of this letter that he's writing to the Philippians with a poem, a hymn, a song? So in order to kind of demystify this question, we need to kind of go back to the beginning in verse five. Paul says, have this mind. Have this mind. This mindset. This mentality. Uh, It's kind of funny to even see Paul writing about a mindset or a mentality, because that seems like such 21st century wisdom, like 
self-help wisdom. Like how many books have you seen in chapters? Uh, just like, this is the mindset. Have this mindset and, and this will happen. Or this is the mentality that works in order for you to do this. Like it's such classic self-help stuff. Um, and so I, for me, I'm a huge sports fan. Um, any other sports fans in here? No sports fans. Jeez. <laughs> Guess no one's watching the Super Bowl today. Uh, it, was, it was really interesting to observe different people's response to Kobe Bryant's death in 2020. Um, a lot of people were kind of f- feeling that. Kobe was famous for having um, his own pseudo-philosophy uh, called the Mamba Mentality. Such a funny name. Mamba Mentality. Mamba was kind of Kobe's nickname as he played basketball, and his pseudo-philosophy was the Mamba Mentality, which was all about hard work and competitiveness and fearlessness and, like, kind of being face-to-face with your adversary. Courage. So I remember seeing tons of people comment when Kobe passed away that they're going to, like, move forward in life with whatever they're doing, like their day job or their music or um, maybe their own sport, and they're going to have the Mamba mentality. They're going to take that on. They're going to carry it forward. Um, and they're going to approach life the same way that Kobe did with the game of basketball. Uh, I don't think this mentality is a bad thing at all. Like, those are all actually pretty good uh, ideas and virtues. Uh, But it doesn't take long for us to recognize when we read this passage in Philippians that Paul isn't talking about kind of this this kind of mentality, this mindset. Um, He's talking about something very different that we see than we see in the kind of the modern marketplace of mindsets and mentalities uh, that we see on like bumper stickers and stuff. Have this mind, Paul writes. What is this mind? So, uh, as we read Philippians as a whole, in its entirety, we can kind of understand this. We understand there's a number of blind spots that this community lives with. Um, Brad Berneski talked last week about how Paul is pointing out a lot of the infighting and the lack of unity that exists within this church. And, and this is really key. These issues and these blind spots that the Philippians are experiencing. Paul has this answer for them as he's writing to this church that he shares a lot of deep love with. And so what's Paul's answer? to these challenges that the Philippians are facing. The mindset. Have this mind, which is imitate Jesus. Imitate Jesus. Jesus is our model for living. And this is where we tie everything together. This is where this passage really starts to make sense and where we can apply it to our lives. What Paul is saying by including this hymn is that they, the Philippians, can only imitate Jesus when they know Jesus' trajectory. We can only imitate Jesus when we know Jesus' story. In Scripture, we are introduced to this radical idea that Jesus is our Lord that we worship. 
And we've spent time doing that this morning. He is our Lord, highly exalted that we worship. And Jesus is our Savior that rescued us and freed us from sin's tight grip. Though what's very clear in the New Testament is this. Uh, Pastor and teacher John Thompson says this so well. He says, Jesus is not just our Lord. Jesus is not just our Savior. Jesus is our model who we seek to imitate. Jesus is not just our Lord. Jesus is not just our Savior. Jesus is our model who we seek to imitate in our lives. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. So as we close, recognize that Jesus' trajectory outlined in this passage, his pre-earthly existence, his earthly existence, and his resurrection existence. Uh, It wasn't just highlighted so that it could be imitated by the Philippians almost 2,000 years ago. Jesus' trajectory is is to be imitated by us. It's worth noting that, as well, Jesus' life is impossible to perfectly emulate. It's impossible. And I feel like that's kind of the question in the room is like, okay, we're supposed to imitate Jesus, but these things seem so unique to Jesus. Yet, when Jesus asked people to follow him, so in Jesus' time, rabbis, Jewish rabbis would um, invite people to follow them, to do life with them. John the Baptist did this as well. And so it wasn't just like, follow, follow me and hear my teaching and understand my teaching. It was like, the, the followers of the rabbi were meant to actually imitate their rabbi in every area of life. Like really down to like eat what they eat, do what they do, talk to people the way that the rabbi talks to people. And when Jesus invited people to follow him, he didn't, like we totally noticed this in the gospels, he didn't just get people to watch him do his thing. You know this. He expected his followers to be active participants in the ministry that he was doing. So Jesus did do things that only Jesus can do. We know that. But when we look at Jesus' story, we can align ours with his in many ways. Jesus started up went down and was exalted by God. Because of Jesus, we know this, the greatest and truest strength is to become weak. The way to be rich is to actually give away. The way to have power and influence is not to dominate, but to sacrifice for others. The way to be happy is to stop obsessing over your own happiness and to focus on others. And my life often looks far from this. 
It really does. If you know me, you know that to be true. Often my model is not Jesus. It's this person who I admire, who I think is cool. Often instead of relinquishing power, I want to gain it. I want more. Maybe you can relate. Often instead of becoming weak, I look to come across strong. Often instead of sacrificing so others may gain, I gain off of others' sacrifices. Is that just me? What would it look like if we as a church truly, by the power and work of the Spirit, devoted ourselves to imitating Jesus Christ? Is that not the calling of the Christian? As we devote ourselves to that calling, I promise you this, he meets us there. Jesus meets us there, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Kenosis. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.